Effective client succession can significantly enhance a law firm's revenue continuity. But it often can be difficult to convince one generation of partners to step back in favor of the next generation. And it sometimes can be challenging to get that next generation to step up and take on the full impact of client relationship demands. Yet for law firm management, navigating these complexities is necessary. Against that backdrop, first-hand insights on fostering effective client succession are particularly useful. And they are the topic of this episode of Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. I'm Joe Peach, Senior Counsel in the Law Firm Management Services Department at Alas. And with me today is Susan Brewer. For the past 11 years, Susan has served as CEO of Steptoe & Johnson PLLC, based in West Virginia. And for the past 39 years, she has had a vibrant litigation practice that has included over 100 jury and non-jury trials in state and federal courts. So welcome, Susan. Glad to have you with us today. Glad to be here. I know your firm's been quite proactive in taking on the complicated issue of client succession. To start, can you give us an overview of how you handle the issue at your firm? Well, first off, we do not have a mandatory retirement age. But about 17 years ago, we did put together a policy we call STAR, the STAR policy. And that stands for Succession, Transition, and Retirement. And under that policy, informal conversations regarding transition and retirement begin at age 55. And formal STAR plan submissions begin at age 62, or three years before retirement, whichever comes first. Well, let's start with those uh, informal conversations that begin at age 55. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about those? Under the STAR policy, decisions to retire, transition towards retirement, or other decisions which affect a member's time committed to the practice of law must be communicated at the earliest appropriate time, and we encourage at least three years in advance. By age 55 and in every year after that until retirement, a member is required to include in his or her performance plan a brief description of plans relative to retirement, including plans to transition toward retirement, other plans to reduce his or her time committed to the practice, or whatever the case may be. In this situation, the question is asked, and it has to be answered at that time. And what do those performance plan discussions include? What types of questions? Well, the first question is, do you have any plans to retire, reduce your time, or otherwise make any significant change in your practice with the firm in the next three to five years? If so, what do you propose and who else should be involved for succession planning purposes? Next, what changes do you anticipate or propose for leadership roles or other responsibilities that you have in the firm, such as practice management, relationship management, marketing, or business development. The next inquiry is we actually ask the members to identify potential successor or successors for each of those leadership positions and discuss how you're getting that person ready to take over the responsibility. And finally, we ask how you've introduced other lawyers into your primary client relationships during the year, and obviously this is to prepare for client succession. Now, how'd you all go about deciding to start having these informal conversations at age 55? Well, we did a study of retirement policies in law firms and other businesses. And because we felt that 
early retirement was becoming more frequent and would become even more frequent in the future because of dual-income families, we thought age 55 sounded right. We also started at 55 in an effort to make these retirement discussions more natural, to avoid surprises to the firm, so that we would have advance notice of any type of slowing down or retirement. And it did take a few years for these discussions to kind of get going. But frankly, now discussion of retirement is no longer taboo in our firm. Let's turn now to the formal STAR plan. Tell us more about that. By age 62, or within three years of retirement, or any other significant transition in a member's practice, whichever occurs first, and for each year after that, that member must submit a written STAR plan to me, the firm's CEO. Now, the structure of the plan is flexible. It doesn't have to follow any particular form, but it needs to include specific information that addresses the key elements of the STAR policy. And what are those key elements? First off is your timetable. What's your timetable for a transition? What do you want your transition to look like? And what will be your time commitment to the firm during the various stages of your transition? Next, a detailed plan for succession of client relationships, management and governance roles, and all other responsibilities, perhaps important firm committee leadership like strategic planning or recruiting. Any responsibility that you have, we want a detailed plan for how the succession is going to look and the names of the particular lawyers that will be involved in this transition. Next, we have a discussion of any changes of your roles and responsibilities during the period of transition, and then any other aspect of a particular attorney's transition that needs to be brought to the attention of the firm leadership so that we can talk about it and make a determination of how we're going to deal with it. So during each uh, member's annual meeting, which occurs with me, the CEO, and the department head, each member is expected to be prepared to engage in an open and frank discussion of their STAR plan. And we have very, very good discussions as a result. Have you ever had any never-retire STAR plans? Yes, we have had a few. But I will say that the typical STAR plan has a path to retirement at between ages 64 and 68 or so. These few never retires. With those folks, we just have to push a little harder to have the discussion. But people understand we're not trying to push them out. We're just trying to be ready. And I think they understand now that they owe that to the firm to help us get ready. Sometimes the formality of the STAR plan process softens the never retire perspective. And frankly, peer pressure has some effect because their peers are doing their STAR plans and talking about them. So it would seem odd for someone not to be talking about their STAR plan with their peers. We have had a situation where we had an attorney working under a STAR plan making his transition, and we had a retirement date that we had all agreed to. But because of some performance problems that developed, we had to sit down with him and suggest a moving up of that retirement date. The STAR policy gave us the ability to have that conversation with him, and we did agree on a new date. Well, let's take a step back and talk a bit about implementation. How did the firm react to introduction of the STAR policy? Well, we had talked about the study for a long time, so people knew it was coming. 
at first it was tough initially because having any kind of retirement discussions when you hadn't had any in the past was an adjustment. So it took a few years to kind of get the 55 informal discussion piece going. But once that piece got traction, we rolled out the 62 and a formal star plan piece. Now, frankly, the policy is totally part of our firm's culture. Thankfully, we had a handful of really great examples, prominent partners who had clear star plans, touted their star plans to others, and they've actually become mentors to our next group that are contemplating retirement and are creating their own star plans. So that has really contributed to our success. And as a matter of fact, the author of our star policy just retired himself after he had an agreed upon slowdown period and a star plan in place. Now, I know you've mentioned some of these already, but from your perspective, what are some of the benefits that the policy has promoted at your firm? Well, first and foremost, having these transition conversations and retirement discussions are far less awkward. As a matter of fact, they're not awkward at all anymore. They're expected, they're universal, and no one is exempt. The open dialogue regarding transition is really beneficial to not only the firm and the partner who's transitioning, the successors who are going to be taking over. It's also very, very important to the clients. And it shows the clients that you're ready and you're going to get their input and get ready for these changes. We really, as leaders, don't have to ask so many star-related questions now. Our members come to their meetings, they're ready, they have their star plans prepared, and everyone who's in that 55 range is ready to have the discussion. The other benefit is because we have a flexible plan, you know, we don't have a form that has to be followed, Anything that pertains to a particular partner's transition can be included in that plan. So we can outline compensation and benefits during transition period, which otherwise might create confusion if not covered. And we have a great CFO who's very involved in helping members who are creating their STAR plans and those who are stepping back from equity to a salaried position like a non-equity member or enough counsel, which is really the most common path, helping them to get ready from a compensation and benefit standpoint for this transition. Do you find that compensation and benefits are topics that are frequently on the minds of folks putting together their STAR plans? I mean, do you see questions around those particular topics more frequently? Absolutely, always. And that's very common and If you can get those resolved and get them in a STAR plan, then it makes things a lot easier and there's a lot less questions and confusion. Well, we've talked quite a bit about the firm's policy with respect to its partners, uh, but what about client input regarding succession? Uh, Is that sought in a similarly formal way? Yes. Usually for our large clients, we have regular client feedback meetings that I conduct along with our chief marketing officer. And when we know that we have transition issues coming up or need to put a succession plan in place, we will raise that question with the client. We want to get the client's input on who they think they would like to work with in the future as we move towards retirement of their relationship person. The client needs to be included in those discussions. And as you've worked with clients, is there anything particular that you've noticed about what's going on within clients in terms of their leadership or their promotion that you have to be mindful of on the firm side in terms of thinking about who's going to be 
successors on your side of the relationship? Yes. Many of our large clients and some of our not-so-large clients have changing demographics. They are getting their next generation of leadership ready to take over. So we need to take that into consideration as we offer up our solutions to transition in dealing with retirements. In other words, we need to have our younger attorneys ready to take on some responsibilities and be client relationship people with their generation of leaders at the companies. And I do think that clients really appreciate these discussions and appreciate us being mindful of who's coming up in their ranks so that we can match them up with who's coming up in ours. Well, that's an interesting wrinkle, the age shift in client leadership. How's your firm ensured that its younger lawyers are, you know, getting those skills necessary to meet that trend and take on the client relationship responsibilities at a younger age? Well, in addition to developing lawyering skills, we do make it known from the start and throughout to the younger lawyers that they are the next generation of our client stewards. So to get them ready, we do have a first-year program for entering associates called the Step-In Program. And this is a monthly program that covers topics like work-life balance, running the firm, firm profitability, ethics conflicts, business hygiene, which would include billing, collections, and timekeeping, and general client relations. And so during the first through the third year, we do focus on developing good lawyers and those basic client service skills. From the third year and beyond, we do begin to fold in client development and business development skills. We have another program we call the Step Up program, and this is for more senior associates or beyond, emerging rainmakers, firm leaders, skilled client relationship attorneys, people where we see great promise in those areas. Those attorneys work with an outside coach for individual development with an eye towards bringing out and developing their individual skills in those various areas. And then finally, we do have an annual leadership development program And this is for our incumbent firm leaders, as well as our emerging leaders. Anything else you might add training-wise? Or has your firm's approach been working pretty well? Well, I would never underestimate the value of outside leadership training programs, too. These are offered at the state and local level by various professional organizations. And we do send our people to those programs so they have the benefit of some leadership training outside the firm. We've also sent them to, alas, leadership training programs. Well, this has been quite informative. Your firm's approach seems to handle all these client succession issues efficiently and effectively. So thank you, Susan, for the candid discussion and the useful insights. Very much appreciate your willingness to share your experiences with us. You're very welcome. Until next time, this has been Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, 
lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2019 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.